Welcome to a football show Thursday edition. Easton Freeze in for Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall. We are brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group, of course. Jump into the comments. Eventually, I'm going to like, because you guys are so good in the comments, Easton. They're so great that like a lot of times we just kind of stream of consciousness with the conversation with those guys. I, maybe one day we'll do like a mailbag section where you just like pepper Zach with questions uh, that are like. You got to non- keep that in the back pocket for when things you just have nothing yeah. to talk about because it is a great it's a go to. Well, I've been doing sports talk radio for 20 years. And if you have nothing to talk about in this uh, world of, of sports year round, then you are just not good at your job. Uh, so there mm. you go. Derek, Derek, how are you, sir? Uh, good to see. You. I, In fact, I love I love June and July because I get to be creative. It's called mm. being creative because today. It, like not a lot of creativity, SFO. not a lot of creativity uh, from like a we have to talk about the Bucks game standpoint. The show writes what, itself. Right. Yep. What is creative is how we're going to talk about the Bucks game, because I have one major issue with this football team. And because Zach's not here to argue with me, I'm going to present a case to you that is a fallacy about this entire Tennessee Titans football team that I think Zach has been perpetrating the propaganda upon this audience for which he cannot defend himself today. So we're going to do that today on the show. Uh, we're going to do a, little, a quick little look around the AFC South because I think the AFC South is way more interesting than I think anybody anticipated. Uh, we got you know a couple of Georgia and Alabama. Could they be upset this weekend? And then, of course, Tennessee, Missouri. So we'll get to some of that later on. But we obviously will start with the Bucks matchup and Will Levis. And how are we going to define what progress looks like for Will Levis each week that we go along? And so what is it from the Pittsburgh game extra time to prepare. What is it about the matchup with the Bucks that he can take advantage of? What are the things he needs to work on? I want to define the progress we want to see from the young quarterback over the course of the next eight weeks because he has been named the starter. And yes, everyone can rest easy and take a deep breath. Your worst nightmares are not true. Will Levis is your starting quarterback, Easton. And we did in fact say that on our Monday show, which I'm I'm back again. Latest reports indicate that Zach is adrift at sea, perhaps the latest uh, victim of the Bermuda Triangle. I don't know if we're ever going to hear from him again. Um, so I How many people would be upset about that? Some would. A very polarizing topic, indeed. I think some would be <laughs> ecstatic. I think some would be sad. Um, but I am get, here. It would, get, it, it would get clicks. It would get clicks. It would get clicks. So, Zach, if you want to lay your life down for <laughs> the, the social grind, go for well, it. Well, I'm not going to ask him to die, per se. <laughs> But like I'm maybe, sure he wouldn't. Maybe like, I'm, sure, I'm sure he wouldn't be all that upset if he ended up on a deserted island, like that's with, what I was uh, going to say, like a right. smoker and like a a barrel of rum for the rest of his life. He'd probably be okay with that as long as he can get the misses down there somehow. Of course, so right, exactly. But I, I'm here in his stead today talking about the Titans, and yep. uh, I'm curious what your what your pushback on on mm. whatever he's been perpetrating is. I, I I feel like in his honor, I need to get at least whatever it is. I need to get at least one. Uh, give me a fucking break in there. What whatever the topic there you go, is. There you go. Um, because a- that's that's typically his response. So <laughs> I'm curious about that. And then, yeah, this this is an interesting football game. And I can't the thing I'm most interested about talking with you today is the AFC South, because like you said, this is a fascinating division. I think that it's only going to get more fascinating the next couple of years. Yep. And that's super exciting. It's a good time to be in the AFC South. Uh, I also want to clarify, or not clarify, but sort of ask some clarifying questions about our topic on Monday, which involved Mike Vrabel and the Patriots. There's been a little bit, not not any more news about this, but you you posted some sort of evolving thoughts as you've been thinking about it, so I'll get to that in a second. Sinker's Beverages, of course, our title sponsor, along with the Kingston Group. You guys know who they are, so go support good local business. What Nashville is all about, what like as much as we change, as much as we evolve, and as many billions of dollars as we spend on stadiums, 
what Nashville has always been about since I was moved here in when I was a freshman in high school in 1996 is about supporting each other in our community. And you do that by going to shop at local restaurants. You do that to using local shops like the Kingston Group to build your house or to do to help you with projects and problems around your house, buying and selling homes. You use that. You do that by shopping at Sinker's Beverages and listening to independent content like 440 Sports, like Broadway Sports Media, the Hot Read Podcast, of course, from Easton Freeze. So shop yeah. at Sinkers, shop at the Kingston Group, support local business, let the community work together to help all of us be better off. That's the way it works. That's the way Nashville's always been. Bingo. And even, I don't think it's going to change. As many as many tax breaks as we give Oracle, we still will support <laughs> Sinkers Beverages in the Kingston Group, I promise. <laughs> okay, I like it. I like it. <laughs> so, Okay. Uh, so my first question, just about the Vrabel topic, and I, I feel like I kind of need to, to clarify something. Number one is, has your opinion of our conversation evolved much at all? You kind of tweeted about it a little bit on Twitter.com. You can follow me at Braden Gall on Twitter.com. Uh, that cannot argue with me on because it's still Twitter.com. Uh, how, how do you, do you have, has anything changed in your opinion now that Robert Kraft might be closer to firing Bill Belichick than we thought? <laughs> um, it's my opinion has changed twice. Um, and it's been it's been a circle. So I'm back where I started. Uh, it, you you my opinion coming into Monday's show was that it's of course they would like to hire him. Of course, Kraft would see Vrabel as a, a nice guy to replace Belichick. But I don't think the Titans would be interested. Then we had our conversation. You made a pretty compelling argument for why the Titans would need to consider it um, and why it might make the most sense for them as an evolving franchise. And then you had me thinking, and I I basically ended that conversation on Monday saying. I don't know anymore. You, you, you've made, you've made me bad at my job on this topic because I have no, I don't have an opinion on this anymore. Let me, let me marinate on it. Um, and then I marinated on it. I tweeted about it before we heard from Vrabel at that press conference about Levis being the starter. Um, and then we had that press conference where all of the things, the fears that folks had that we discussed on Monday were laid to rest rationality and logic won out. And the Titans are an organization that I think a lot of people are suddenly at ease with and excited about. And I'm back to where I started looking at this team, looking at Mike Vrabel, who finally publicly, because I'm somebody that I think behind the scenes, he's absolutely been saying the past two weeks, boys, we might have something here with this Will Levis guy. Like the whole, we want, how you can want say what? I don't know how you can't like, I don't, exactly. Like, he, he's yeah. not dumb. He's, he yeah. knows, he knows what he sees. And so, that's something where I think people, a lot of fans don't realize or forget to realize that what is said by Mike Vrabel at the podium is not representative of how he feels. Um, and so yeah. just because he's not absolutely slurping Will Levis at the podium every time we bring him up does not mean that he hates Will Levis. And he did finally show a little bit of talking about how there's clearly something there with this guy. And the only way you can learn is by going out there and doing it. All the things that we've yeah. been saying, all the things that are obvious to him, who again, is not a, he's not a dumb man. He's a very smart football mind. And so that's something where I, 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 th he's I think very, that, he's a very smart, motivational, psychological leader yes. of, human, of humans. Yes. And his MO has always been when you're having a bad time, build you up. And when you're having a great time, keep you grounded, which is basic one-on-one human leadership. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's and I mean it's it's sports psychology one hundred and one. You hear yeah. about the very greatest athletes in any sport talk about how staying at neutral is key from a mentality standpoint. So that's what Variable tries to do yep. with his players, absolutely. But but back to the point of trust the process, the, trust the process. But back to the point of, of the coaching, um, 
remarks from, from New England and out of the Boston Globe. I'm back to where I think Vrabel has to look at this franchise. You've got a new GM that, despite what you have said in the past, I'm not discrediting your comments. I, I think that they're going to be a nice tandem going forward. I think that Vrabel likes the amount of control he has in this organization. And pretty objectively, this Titans team right now is in a much better spot organizationally from a total franchise point of view than New England is. I'm not sure why he would ever want to go there, and I'm not sure why the Titans organization would want to trade him there. Well, I, I, number one, I, I I think ever suggesting that anyone knows what makes anybody tick, I think is a false that like I, I do it with all the time with college football jobs. And I go Tennessee versus Mississippi state. Tennessee's clearly better. Why would you ever not take the Tennessee job? And like, mm. you just don't know what makes a guy tick. It's true. Sometimes, sometimes true. the wife wants to be on the West coast or sometimes the kids want to be here. Or sometimes when I'm up late at night, I dream about this and not that. And I, like you just, you never know. So I think True. any of us pretending to know what Mike Vrabel will or won't want today, next year, two years from now, I, I think is, is, is ridiculous. Cause you just never know what makes a guy tick. I don't think you can apply a, a blanket sort of philosophical coaching and football evaluation to everybody and say it applies to everybody. Cause it just doesn't like, again, a guy left the Wisconsin job for Utah state. Like what? Like Wisconsin's right. in the big 10. They paid yeah. $8 million. Utah state's in the mountain West. Like that's a huge step down, but he wanted to be out there because his wife wanted to be out there and they wanted to be on the West coast with their family. So like you just, that rule was going to be paid a lot of money every year to do nothing. And then decided he wanted to go coach a Nebraska team. You, you never know what makes a guy tick. So, and I want to kind of clarify what I was saying. Like I personally don't think the Titans should do it. His contract does run out at some point. So if he wants to just walk away, I think it's four years from now. Like he can just mm -hmm. walk away if he wanted to. My my issue is, is that if if Mike Vrabel wanted this and the Patriots wanted it, you, the Titans, would be, would be in a position of leverage to maximize his value True. during this window with which he is under contract. So in that sense, you're not doing your job if you don't think about it, if you don't analyze it, do your SWAT and get the best possible offer, conduct business like you you would be doing if you were thinking about actually doing it. I don't sure. think that's like in a perfect world. I think Mike Vrabel should be the head coach for the Titans for as long as he wants to be. And you keep him here as long as possible. And, and with a, with a roster that he clearly knows how to manage and lead, but now with a young quarterback who frankly, the last thing you want to do is like upend the entire organization. Yeah. You, you kind of no already, kidding. you know, like you've got the front office established who drafted him like he came in after all the change. Like right now, he only knows what's around him, and so I think I, I think keeping it stable for him is is critical. I just want to clarify my personal opinion versus what I think may happen or what could be going through people's heads. And I just you know I, I sure. do not want to see it happen. I think it would be a bad move. Right? Is there a time two years from now when Mike Vrabel says, "Look, I'm really interested in this job behind closed doors." Robert Kraft is a Hall of Famer and makes Hall of Fame decisions, and he wants to hire Mike Vrabel, bring him back home, the patron son, and we're and and Amy Adams Strunk says, okay, I'll make that happen, but I've got to bend him over a barrel to get whatever I want out of this, right? Because I can say no, I, I I can say no, you know that that is that's that's kind of where I was coming from with that, and I could Fair. see Mike Vrabel wanting to be in New England. I could see that absolutely happening, very you know in the next year or two, whatever. A lot of that depends on how good number eight is. <laughs> so, oh, a big we'll part of that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Sinkers Beverages, Kingster Group. Appreciate it. Uh, so there you go. That was that was 
I wanted to ask about that just sort of after a couple of days of thinking about it, had you changed your opinion and you're back to the beginning, which is totally fine. And I want to be very clear on my opinion, which is I think it would be one of the worst things possible is to get rid of Mike Rabel right now today. Um, it doesn't mean you might, you might not be forced into that situation down the road. Um, that's all. And I do think the tension that happens behind the scenes, I've said this multiple times between the front office and the coaching staff is potentially a very good thing. You, you want them to, there to be a natural inherent tension there. The question is, can they learn to work and maximize each other over time? And I think they absolutely can. Like, I'm I'm not my my sort of, you know, thoughts on that situation are just like in this moment, they're working things out, trying to figure it out. And I think they absolutely I think they're they're a girl. They're grown adult men. I think they can figure it out. So, um, okay, how do we define success? I want to know. I want to be very broad and give you like free space to 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 sort of talk through what you think this is. How, how should we define progress? The Titans are three and five uh, coming off a tough game against Pittsburgh, but, but we're in that game. They've got extra time to prepare for Tampa Bay, a team that has some very specific strengths and weaknesses. Um, what, how would you define for Will Levis specifically? How would you define progress week one to week two now to his third game as a starting quarterback for the Titans? Uh, just touchdowns. I think all that matters is touchdowns. If he scores touchdowns, he's good. If he doesn't, he's bad is all that really there is to go into that evaluation. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, it's a good question. It, it is one that is, um, you know, a lot is going. I had somebody tweet me a couple of days ago because I was I was highlighting how we're going to get a lot of really cool looks at this draft class against each other because the, the AFC South is playing the NFC South and three of the the rookies are in the AFC South. So you're going to get two CJ Strouds versus Will Levis games. You're going to get a Bryce Young versus Will Levis game here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be cool to, to compare those two guys on the same screen in the same game. Um, I had somebody re- respond to that um, basically saying, well, all there, all you'll be able to garner from it is if he wins, if he wins, then, then you know who the better player is, which is, I mean, the yeah. ultimate quarterback, Wins are a stat, not actually a stat. People, wins are not a quarterback stat. Um, it seems awfully reductive, but right, it's it is awfully reductive. And and, 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 so, and to be to be, I want you to continue, but to be clear, sure. all those rookies also sort of measured against what is now the benchmark in the division at the position, which yes. is Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence. Yes. I mean, again, th- if you think he's elite or not is irrelevant. Right now, he is the benchmark in the division at that position. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, he is, and I, I've always been higher on on Trevor than most Titans fans, but. Um, so, so defining success for will it, it strangely for me starts with wanting to see him make some massive mistakes. Um, not, mm. and so like, I, I don't like, how do I know he's I, making progress if he's making a bunch of mistakes? <laughs> well, so let me, let me try to land this plane. Right. right. <laughs> I, I, I don't like when you're on the extremes of either end of the spectrum for a, a young or a rookie quarterback where you put a guy like Brock Purdy on a San Francisco team and he's got every weapon imaginable. He's got great protection. He's got incredible scheme and he's able to really, if he wants to just operate as the puppet of Kyle Shanahan and press the right buttons and just not make dramatic mistakes out of, out of structure versus Bryce versus Bryce young. That's where I was going. Exactly. Versus a Bryce young or, you know, there, there are plenty of horrible first or second round first or second overall quarterback situations in the recent past that you can point to where it's just impossible i mean look at trevor with urban meyer for that first season right you hate that because again you you can watch the tape and you can see the the traits and whatnot and, and like you can you can point and be that guy 
who's like the tape grinder and like the football nerd who you're like, actually, Bryce Young's been playing pretty well. And folks have been saying that. And a lot of fans who look at the record and look at the numbers are like, no, he hasn't. Um, I hate both ends of that spectrum. So I think this Titans team is actually really well constructed to be <laughs> mediocre and flawed enough. <laughs> Hooray! For, 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 in a weird way, it's good news for Will Levis because he's going to be funny. put in situations to win games. This Titans team absolutely can and will win some games the rest of the season. They may win a lot of games. You never, if Will Levis is continuing to play at a really high level and is ultimately a better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill had been for the first six weeks, you could. I don't think the playoffs are out of the realm of possibility for this team. Unlikely at this point, sure. You got a you got a tough you got an uphill climb. You're 14th in the in the conference. You got to win some games and string together wins. And you got to w- win on the road first and foremost. But. There's um, like one, there's like, people don't realize this. And I didn't even realize this. There's only one yeah. team in the AFC with a worse record. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and part of that is because the AFC is a total cluster and there right. are a ton of three and five, four and four, yep. five and yep. three teams. Um, and so, that'll also so most of the out. AFC. South. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So that's why to, to land that plane, I want to see him make some mistakes. I want to see him have to play from down two touchdowns in the second half and see how he operates when, you know, a, a, a less mature quarterback might press or make some decisions that are too aggressive. I want to see him try to make a, a, you know, a comeback drive in the fourth quarter, which we saw on Thursday Night Football against the Steelers. I also want to see him operate from ahead. I, I want, I guess what I'm saying is I want him to be put in as many different case study situations as humanly possible so that he can get as much experience as possible to be primed for what is really what we're working towards here, the 2024 season. I think ultimately like the really, really easy answer on how to define Will Levis is sort of tied to like the advanced metrics probably. Yeah. And, and if you're going to be like yards per attempt and, you know, DVOA and, you know, some of the more basic ones, completion percentage or, quarterback rating but like anything that sort of defines efficiency yeah i think that's the easiest answer but i think we can you know anyone can say like well yeah but if he goes 17 of 22 for 250 yards and three touchdowns like obviously that's progress we define that as progress and to your point like touchdowns man throw some fucking touchdowns like yes <laughs> that, is prog- that is progress and we get yeah. we acknowledge that but i think that the the nuances of the game which i think frankly to your point uh, which I think it takes some nuance to understand your point, which I agree with, which is let's see how many different types of situations he can experience to then be able to call on those experiences in the future when he's put back in those situations. Like, frankly, he should be better. This is this is how, again, this is where I think the more nuanced answer comes back hmm. because, because he has now experienced, to your exact point, he has now experienced two very different extremes. He's experienced a bunch of big play touchdowns and a win. Mm -hmm. And he's experienced a road game in which he was on his ass or about to be on his ass the entire game. And so progress for me is handling those two things and, and being better, especially under pressure, because now it appears that maybe even Daniel Brunskill won't, won't be available. We don't know. So the offensive line conversation we had on Monday is now probably definitely including Andre Dillard, which is, Awesome. Woohoo! Uh, um, so Raiden's might be in at guard. Who knows? Uh, you know, we don't know. But I think the point is defining progress is taking those moments of adversity and showing growth within those moments of adversity. And in particular, with Pittsburgh, to me, is learning how to protect himself a little bit better. Like he's a tough dude. He's Captain America, like Mike Herndon said, and like he's all these things. 
he's a big physical transformer, like you know, it, it but it is what it is. But like also he took a lot of hits. Braden, he took it's Josh Allen, and I, I hate, I hate, right. I hate, I hate, I hate how direct the comparison has been to Josh Allen so far with Will Levis. But it, it that's what it is, right? Like the 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 fact that they are very similar athletes, the fact that we were at yeah. first talking about how like okay, the you know, the decision making, the 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 mechanics, the footwork, like those need to be those need to be improved. He's got a cannon of an arm. He can push the ball down the field. Okay, now he comes in. He shows you that he's progressed in some things. And now, okay, he's a big guy, and he's he, you respect the grit, you respect the balls on the guy, but you got to protect yourself better. Like it's it's step by step what we've talked about with Josh Allen in his career, which is a good thing, right? Because well, Josh Allen's a very good quarterback, but that's that's what it is. So there's there's something yeah. you can learn from right there, a guy that's and, ahead of you in that way. And I and I don't and I think while Josh Allen is probably the most fair and most apt comparison. Uh, in particular, because, you know, people had doubts about his college tape and he wasn't the, the, the statistical production wasn't there at Wyoming. Completion percentage. I, yep. I, st- I still think that Le- like, while this is not meant to be a knock on Levis, this is more of a I don't think there's any human on planet Earth that is the size and speed and strength of Josh Allen. Yeah, like, I think they're I think their arms are very similar. I think the yeah. arm talent and the strength and the the ability, the ability to just flick it and have it fly off the TV screen for like multiple seconds. Power from is, nowhere is is awesome and and I think that's comparable but I I don't like when Josh Allen breaks out of the pocket and makes a 6 foot 5 280 pound defensive end fall off of him like a fly that that is not a thing that any other human can do so I don't think it's fair to ask Will Levis to sort of have that level of athletic ability running around but but again like progress to me is run is is getting out of the right getting out of the play that might give you some pressure which we saw that was certainly some things he was working on against Pittsburgh, uh, getting rid of the football a little bit earlier. There's a couple times in the, in that game where he stepped into the pocket and maybe held onto the ball a little bit too long and took, and took the hit and took a sack. It's not, I'm, I'm not blaming him for sacks. I'm just saying he's been faced with a situation of being under pressure and there's a chance he's going to be under pressure a few more times this season. You think so? Based, based on the level of protection he's going to get. And I mean, so I think le- learning how to get, throw it away quicker take the loss on the down, protect his body a little bit better. Cause I think he's out there just like, I'm 22. I'm built like captain America. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And he plays like that, which is a good thing, by the way, 24, whatever he plays oldest quarterback in the division. Somehow (laughs) he, he plays like that. And that's a great thing you want, but it's a fine line. And so for me with progress, it's about like when you're under pressure, I would define progress as like just that split second, quicker better decision to protect your body and get the ball away you know i don't have as many problems about some of the decisions he made throwing the football like i know on that fourth down taking the shot to burks it felt like that was probably the right read if you go back and rewatch it the interception i could totally disagree that's that's the one throw in that game where i totally i think it was a bat poor decision i i don't i think that's that's just a rookie mistake okay you, i mean I, i'm just saying there's a i'm under the impression that Maybe to your point, and this is where you might be right, and and I need to adjust what I'm saying, is that that was the proper read within the confines of the offense and the defense. Maybe it's not the right decision in that moment. In a vacuum, it's a perfectly fine. In in, in a a vacuum, it's a perfectly fine decision to make. And we actually broke this down, shameless plug, in our Will Levis uh, film session with James Foster, who is the best in town doing this. So you don't have to take my word for it. Take his word for it. We talked about this uh, earlier this week. It, it in a vacuum is a fine decision to make. And that's a, that's a matchup he identified pre-snap, knew he'd have the guy one-on-one, wanted to give his guy a chance to go get the right. ball, fine. Situationally, you have to know 
it's fourth down. It's the end of the game. You may not get the ball back with a chance to score. You have to score the, the actual technical. And we don't know for sure. The Titans could be different, but in, in general on that play with that concept, the first read is that Phillips look on the inside and breaking route on the right-hand side. He should have looked there. He didn't. It's good. It's, you know, you can't kill the guy for it. He's, he's going to make mistakes. He's played two games, right? He's played two games. So, so, so that's another point though. Like progress is in the moment, adapting the read to be off script to some degree. I'm, I'm using that loosely here. Right. But like, but, but, but to match the situation, right. It, it's about matching the situation. Yep. And, yep. And so when you on a fourth down read that maybe is correct based on like your scientific execution of the read, but, right. but, but you have to make up, you have to, to process it faster and move to something else. That's the same thing as knowing exactly where the blitz is coming from pre-snap and being prepared to throw the ball right at where the blitz is coming from, mm-hmm. shifting your protection to, to see where the mismatch is on the defensive line yep. and shift your protection pre-snap. And, and then understanding, and again, like he's shown flashes of this where yeah. like a guy's on his ankles. He can, he can just flick it down the field. Like that's an incredible skill. It doesn't mean you want him doing that every time. So I think to me, progress is, is, is about like, he's, he's so he's already been shown so much talent that you just want to see continually see the speed of the game move up for him to be able to process those situational things even further. And like, mm-hmm. I know that's super nuanced and in the weeds on how to make a quarterback better from week to week, but I want to see that stuff speed up this week for him a little bit. And I think, I think he will be able to, I'm not sure if Tampa will be able to pressure him the same way, but I also, I'm not sure if the offensive line is going to protect him very much. So, and, and so more tangibly progress could an example of progress would be him being put in that situation again and finding the underneath look and living to see another set of downs. Right. Um, One thing that, that has been on my mind, I, I was trying to think back earlier this week to August and, and July when we were watching him um, through training camp. You and I were there a lot of the days seeing the things that we feel like, OK, that you can tell he's working on this, the footwork, the mechanics, the, you know, putting feathering the ball, all these things that in his first two starts we've identified as, wow, look at these things that we were talking about him working on in, in the summer. And now you can see tangible examples of him doing it on Sundays on the field. That's great. That's awesome. I was trying to figure out what, what, what else were we looking at for him that were either areas of um, that needed improvement or areas of strength for him. Like what haven't we seen, right? That's what I was trying to go back and think about. And the number one thing that I think we haven't seen from him, and this is not all his fault. This involves the rest of the team as well. We talked a lot in August about how, when they're doing 11s and they're doing sevens in practice at training camp, this guy really thrives in the red zone. We've not seen him do that yet because the Titans haven't been in the red zone much. In, in his first start, he just skipped the red zone entirely, which is epic and awesome. And I have no they were They were there plenty against Pittsburgh, but that is an elite red zone defense. So. Exactly. So we saw it some from, but but if you go back and look drive by drive, and this was what surprised me because I was on the same page as you. It's like, well, they were, you know, they were there three or four times. Actually, it's kind of deceiving. They techni- When you go and look at the technical red zone, which is inside 20, they weren't there much, but they were inside 25 four times. Five so, times. Five times, excuse five me. Times. Okay, five times. Yeah, so they were there a bunch. Um, we're right at, on, on the doorstep and he didn't get a ton of opportunities to actually throw the ball down there. It was a lot of plays that were kind of taken out of his hands. There were, there were a handful, but I want to see more against a less phenomenal red zone defense. Like you yeah. said, which yeah. 
this week's not that week with the Bucks. Are, I think they're first in the league, allowing the fewest points on average per drive that gets into the red zone. So if he does it this week, then big thumbs up from me. Yeah. Um, but in general, let's see him operate in the red zone. We know he's got the cannon. We know he can push the ball downfield. The red zone, you can't do that. To shorten field, the defenders have a lot less space to cover. You got to hit the guys underneath and slice and dice. Let's see him do that, not just in August, but on Sundays. Timmy says, Will Levis is going to be better than Justin Herbert. Well, considering Justin Herbert has got like the third most yards in the history of the NFL in his first three seasons, that's quite a high bar to clear. So let's I like to imagine right, Timmy. Timmy making that face in his profile picture <laughs> when he when he says that. And let's hope he's right, because that'd be great for content. Sure. Um, so so here's what's interesting about your uh, like as you're talking, I'm trying to think back to August as well. Right. And I'm like fumbled snaps is kind of a quick one that just comes to mind. And like they, yep. he's he's clearly kind of handled that. What one of the things that I was trying to come up with, like, what is the one thing that truly I was at? I would because I and this is not a victory lap here, but like, I think the first day of practice, I looked over at you and maybe on the show with Zach and I said, like, he is ahead of Malik Willis, guys. Like, I he is he is you better did, than Malik Willis. Yeah. And so I've I'm, I've always been a little higher on Will Levis than the average Tennessee fan, I think, in general, and maybe even the media. Did I expect you think higher yeah. than the average Tennessee okay. fan? Okay. Sure, for sure. You think, um, but one of the things that I th- now, going back and trying to like remember all the pages of notes and commentaries right. that we've done through that period of time, I, I want to say it, it's sort of like the over the middle between the hashes, not vertical, but those types of throws, like the one that was both the interception at the end of the game, but mm-hmm. also the beautiful pass from his own end zone to DeAndre Hopkins, yep, where he puts it over the defensive player's shoulder on sort of like this up vertical bend in in bending route seam routes and in breakers are what we're looking for. Yeah. And so, and that's also what you have to be very good at in the red zone. So I think, I think that particular throw that intermediate throw into traffic where it's anticipation, it's timing, it's arm strength. It's, it's throwing like, it's not throwing a receiver open. It's throwing to like a quadrant of the receiver. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's outside top right. It's outside top left. It's bottom low left. It's bottom low right. Have you ever heard are... of a witch nipple quarterback? A witch nipple quarterback. A witch nipple where they where the quarterback asks the receiver, which nipple do you want it on? Like oh. that's the precision <laughs> you gotta you I've, well, I've heard this referred to before and I think it's hilarious and I put it in my arsenal because that's I what like a it. truly like elite it. accuracy quarterback is. They're a witch nipple quarterback. Yo, that's what yo he dog, to be. Yo dog, which nipple witch you nipple. want? And you know, and like, so having watched Aaron Rodgers for 16 years, like that's a witch nipple. Aaron Rodgers is the most witch nipple quarterback I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. Like that dude literally on, if it's, if the receiver is just ahead of him, he's going to go up that direction. Or Mm -hmm. if the, if the safety's closing in on a a breaking route, he's going to go down and low. Like he, he, I've never seen anybody do it like him. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Like, let's see, let's see a little bit more touch accuracy arm strength whatever it is on the play that is needed in the red zone but but in particular over the middle in the intermediate passing route i think that's something that i'd like to see and that speaks right to your your red zone conversation so i think otherwise it's 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 just continue to manage the game put the team in the position to win make smart decisions okay here's one don't do that stupid shit when you're getting sacked throwing the football backwards how about that like, that, like, yeah, let's not do that one again. He saw Deshaun do it and is like, write that down, write that down. Let's let's not have the total moment of brain shutdown because that yeah. that one was like, I'm like, dude, and you you could see it. On, like, I think he was even processing like, oh, I should not have done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like in a movie where the record scratches and it's like, yeah, how did we yeah. get here? This so I think we're decision. I think taking, you know, there was only one really of those in like two games, honestly. 
And so I'm not. Which, if you compare to Malik Willis, like that's the that's kind of every thing. Play. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the, I'm, I'm happy. I'm content to move on. The one last thing I was thinking about when you were explaining all of that about how you want to see the in-breaking routes, you want to see the seam routes, you want to see, see a, him be a witch nipple quarterback operating between the numbers. It's funny because with Marcus, that was we, we've kind of we've gone we've covered every spectrum, every every uh, portion of this spectrum with Titans quarterbacks with the last three guys. Because with Marcus, it was a guy that his bread and butter coming out was like, this guy's got great accuracy. He can throw those balls in between the numbers really, really well outside the numbers, his arm strength. Like it's just not pushing sure. the ball down the field and outside the numbers are not his forte with Ryan Tannehill. He comes in. It's like, Oh, look at this guy's also competent in the middle of the field. And he's competent pushing the ball down the field and outside the numbers. Now Will Levis is like, this guy can push the ball down the field all day long. He loves to throw outside the numbers. Now let's see him go in inside the numbers. Let's see those seam routes. Let's see the end breakers. Um, and, and, to be fair, like that's a good thing in my opinion. Pushing the ball downfield and throwing outside the numbers is the harder thing to do in general. As long yeah. as you don't just truly like suck. If your accuracy is horrible, then that's a different story. I don't you think his be, accuracy is horrible. You can't be um, Joe. Mil- you can't be Joe Milton where you're yes. not accurate down the field, but you also exactly. don't know how to throw a soft a changeup. Exactly. And he, exactly. And he has he's shown he some he's shown some ability to throw the changeup in particular mm-hmm. uh, around the backfield. He's done a good job of like grounding the ball when there's no play. He yep. also threw it to Tajay Spears on one play where he should have grounded it. So again, there's there's plenty to to, to work on. But uh, again, protecting his body, anticipating red zone intermediate throws. I think that's kind of all stuff that I would be like this. This is how I would define progress. That is deeper than just like, oh, he he threw for two fifty and three touchdowns and they won the game. Which of course we'll all say is progress. But also, Tampa Bay is not nearly as good as 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 Pittsburgh is. Now they are good at, at a couple of things, but which we're going to get to in a second. So here's my let me. This is going to tie into the Tampa Bay game. And this is my fallacy. I want to present because we'll get to we we'll, we'll get to some AFC South stuff. And I, and I and and Zach sort of is and and I have not pushed back on Zach as much about this because it the stats and the data have not been there as prevalently. Let's say is that the right word? Um, overwhelmingly as they are when I sat down to look at this matchup and look at this game. Um, there's a few things that Tampa Bay, I, like, I think they've got a lot of different weapons. They're using Kate Otten as a tight end in an oppressive mm-hmm. way. They got two receivers in, in Goodwin and Evans that are one-on-one, very dangerous against the Titans secondary. They've been targeted more than 60 times. They got a running back who's been targeted like 35 times. They, like, they've got a lot of different pieces, and Baker Mayfield's playing better football in the last couple of games, even though they've lost four straight. Um, they have held teams to 70 yards or less rushing five times so a very very good tampa bay rushing defense but i want to focus on the other side of the ball which is where i think the fallacy is now that the stats are here okay in the last four games the tennessee titans average rushing defense the average performance of the most basic stats not the dvoa expected this expect just yards 32 carries per game for 160 yards rushing per game that is the last four games of rushing defense for the Tennessee Titans following like a 20 game stretch of not right. allowing somebody over hundred yards, mm-hmm. four straight games where the average, the average mm-hmm. is 32 carries for 160 yards. They are 30th in the NFL in quarterback pressures. They are 29th in the NFL. This is all a uh, pro football focus, uh, pro football uh, reference. reference. Uh, 54 pressures, 30th in the NFL, 29th in the NFL in pressure percentage, 18% of dropbacks. They have 14 hurries the entire season. 
14 quarterback hurries, according to Pro Football Reference. 28th in the NFL. I feel like nine of those came in week one, too. Yeah, yeah. 4.8% of a hurry rate, which means every time the quarterback drops back 100 times, you're going to pressure him five times. I'm not sure how if you guys know how percentages work. 30th. Good math. The 30th in the NFL. 30th, which means like they're going to get like... How many teams more? are there? 32, right? So they are not, not, that's not great. They... Their defense They're bad. They're is bad. not good. It's not bad. good. It's really bad. It's 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 the most disappointing thing about this team this year. And these are the and this these ones I got from uh, the Paul Karski podcast, which of course is on the 440 Sports Network. These hey. are the last four games from the top from the front four, which is supposed to be the identity of the team. Supposed to be one sack, three quarterback hits. Land, Harold Landry with three pressures. Danico Autry with six pressures. Jeffrey Simmons with six pressures. Arden Key with seven pressures. Uh, they, I'll add this to the list. This was not from Paul. They have four takeaways in their last seven games. So they are not pressuring the quarterback with their best players. They are not stopping the run with their best players. They're not creating turnovers and havoc plays and tackles behind the line of scrimmage. They're not pressuring the quarterback. They're not hurrying the quarterback. They're not hating the quarterback. And they're not stopping the run. You know what's more frustrating than that? They're not good at defense. And do you know what? That's infuriating. You know what's even more frustrating? I don't know why. I don't know. I, I, that's like, it's our job, right? To be able to say like, well, it's probably this, or maybe it's this. Brayden, I don't know. I, 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 this is like number one. And I think it hit me this morning, actually. I'm glad you brought this up because I was listening to some other podcast and Titans talk this morning. And um, it was actually Greg Cosell. I was listening to a little bit and, and he was talking about this and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I've been at the Titans facility a couple of times this week and I'm kicking myself for not asking more questions about it. Like, what can, can we identify what's going on here? And to the credit of others in the media pool, I saw from today earlier th this this midday this morning, they asked some questions of guys like Arden Key, uh, one in particular. And I, I don't know. I need to ask about the context. Of this. I don't know if you saw this. Arden Key was asked, um, I think, by Terry McCormick, like, what does the what do you guys need to do to set a better edge in the run game? And Arden just kind of shook his head and wait. And it's just um, um. Next question. That's bizarre, but okay. Yeah. What, yeah. I, I think going there's on? Been some, I, I think there's been some bizarre answers, not bizarre in like a, um, like you have no clue what you're doing, but no, it's I, just, there's more it, clearly there's something there that he wants to say that he can't, because there's I, a very so, easy generic answer there that you could give and you don't want to give it. What is generally okay. It, Traditionally in football, you bring in, and this is not about Will Levis, but, but like traditionally in football, you bring in a backup quarterback or a rookie quarterback. What's the phrase we all use? Simplify the offense, yep. right? It's a, it's a phrase that you use. It can mean many things depending on your strengths and weaknesses. I like where you're going with this. I, I, to me, defense is at its best when it is fast, right? Mm -hmm. Fast and physical. Mm -hmm. How do you get too fast and physical on defense? Instincts and reaction, not thinking. Not thinking. It's about instincts, reaction, speed, physicality. Yep. yep. It, it's see ball, get ball. <laughs> like it's, it, you don't think. Defense is exclusively about muscle memory and instincts and reaction speed. And number one, I don't think they are overly talented in the box behind that line. Uh, and I, I think, know they are not overly talented. And, and, in the box. and while Aziz Al has played well and is a He's good fine. player, they do not have, like, especially not like, I'm not saying Kevin Byer was good for this team this year, but just in general to have the leadership, the knowledge where, where he's at, like they right now, Amani Hooker has not, he's been fine. He's been okay. 
Elijah Molden's had some time where he's been good one play and then bad the next series and then they've not been the elevating. Series. They've not been plus players, but but he plays in the box a lot. Uh, you know, Jack Gibbons is what he is. I think he's extremely limited. So I think that that the pieces that would play behind that group that would allow you to do stuff. We we know they don't blitz. Like to me, this is about simplifying all of it to make it fast. And I don't know what that. Like I, I played offense growing up, so <laughs> I, I don't know if that if that in because in, this Tampa Bay team can't does not run the football. I mean, they they can't. They're not good so like that. I like Rashad White, but I don't. They do not run the football particularly well. Um, now they they protect the football. They they don't turn the ball over very much. But like you you pressure Baker Mayfield, he will make mistakes. Yep. They 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 they've got to be simple and fast. And I, I tell me how they do that. On defense, I already told you, Brayden. I don't know. I I will tell you this: this we do know this defense for the past couple of seasons has been one of the more complex ones in the league. They were they were big in pioneering the you could argue revival, or maybe it's kind of a new thing. There's a debate about that between behind the scenes. It's a very nerdy thing. In general, they've been a big part in the past couple of years of revivifying this this um, idea of let's not send guys on blitzes very often. We don't need to send more than four. How about we just simulate the pressures, right? You hear this all the time with the Titans defense, simulated pressures. That complicates the defense tremendously. Guys need to know their responsibilities, and your responsibility changes when you are running simulated pressures, trying to kind of I mean, simulated pressures are trying to have your cake and eat it too, which <laughs> right. if you can do it, it's great. That's awesome. But when you can't, you don't have either. You neither have the cake nor get to eat it. And that's where the Titans are right now as a defense. They aren't eating the cake. They don't have the yep. cake. Yep. And they need to slow it down and at least choose one of those two things, right? And so I'm with you. Maybe that means simplifying the, the scheme, the play calling. Maybe we do send some more pressure because we're just trying to allow these guys, like you said, to act instinctually, to act reactively, to act as fast as possible so they can get out there. And again, you use all the buzzwords you want, fly around on defense, play fast, play physical, play instinctive. It's important. And right now they're not doing that. And I think what, what appeared to happen with the Steelers, in my opinion, is the, and, and there, I think there's another factor here that I'm going to get to in a second. And that is that I think, Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry have been carrying a franchise for so long that they are just like mentally exhausted. <laughs> so, sure, so sure. I think that I, they will never admit that. And that's not a thing that you get paid million, you get paid millions of dollars to overcome that. And that is what it is. But like, I, I don't know. Like, I just think that that for some uh, upfront has been asked to do so much heavy lifting for so long that there, that maybe it's just like, you know, who knows, but that's a different subject. No, I, I agree. I, I think the the other thing that was so surprising about why Najee Harris and Warren were so successful running the football was that it was so it was also so simple and direct. Mm -hmm. They went right at him, right between the tackles. They mm -hmm. they weren't doing a bunch of crazy weird shit. It was Najee Harris downhill at your face, and, and even Warren for a smaller guy was. They, Al Michaels couldn't talk enough about how. <laughs> Herb Street, he's not a big guy, but look how physical he is between the tackles. <laughs> right, right. Like they couldn't stop talking about that. And it was, it's almost as if like the other team went a little simpler. And I don't blame them with Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada because I don't think Matt Canada is very good. But what? even Matt, but even Matt Canada saw how to attack this team, which was to go right at him. Because once you, if you can just get by Simmons and Autry, there's not a lot there, there to stop. And so I, to me, it's about simplifying. 
and making it fast again. And I don't, maybe they don't have the pieces to do that with Gibbons and Al Shair and what well, a linebacker. They don't a linebacker. They just flat. Don't. Um, I, I don't know. They, I don't know. They need to get healthy. They need to get healthy in the secondary. Um, we heard Roger McCurry say today that he's, he's absolutely gonna play, playing yeah. this game. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. Huge news. You can get one of the UDFA guys off the field. I think it'll be a lot less of Eric Gary. You'll still see Trey Avery out there as long as Sean Murphy Bunting isn't playing, which it, it's, from what I'm hearing, it's probably not very likely. He had some kind of surgical operation on his thumb or according to the, the injury report thump um, earlier this week. And so <laughs> excuse me, um, he got his thump fixed, which is great news, but never, never like to have a thump problem. It's a broken bad, thump bad is problem. a huge issue. You yeah, can't play good football yeah. with a broken thump. Um, well, and but, I think Fulton, ironically, through all of this, now he's Christian, playing good. Christian good Fulton, is the most con- he's the most consistent player on the defense through all of I this. Know. And Great so timing. maybe maybe maximize that a little bit more because again sure. to this week if you're going to blitz a little bit more if you're going to make it a little bit more dynamic, well you better be able to guard Mike Evans down the field in man to man coverage and maybe that's where Fulton comes in maybe he's with Godwin maybe like maybe you can use less because Fulton is now playing better and with McCreary's healthy so you I'm might have you an advantage Fulton, so. by the way I'm glad you brought him up because this is the heat check for him in my mind this game. Um, we, we've, we've been hearing the whispers about, which have, have grown into yeah, a, a, a full inside voice. Um, at this point, Hey, Christian Fulton has been playing some good ball recently and he has and credit to him for that. Yep. However, it's been against, um, some bad receiving cores and some bad quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield's no world beater, but he do, does have some fantastic weapons on the outside. And he is for my money, the best quarterback that the Titans have faced for a couple of weeks in a row now since London, really. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so this is the heat check for me. If Christian Fulton's resurgence, if his backness is real, then let's see it against this team. When you are, again, you're, you're undermanned in the secondary, you're expected to be able to carry the load, do it this week. And then I'll start to buy it. I, I think that's right. And, uh, we've got a couple of questions here and we'll get to them momentarily. Cause I'm actively going to look up Will Levis's split stats here. Um, at, while trying to also continue with your conversation, I, I agree that Baker Mayfield has played fairly efficient football. He's a few games where he's like 72, 73% completion percentage. He's had a couple of games. And to your point, I, I think you can rattle him quickly, but I think he's got some good weapons. Are you talking and, about Levis or Baker? Uh, Baker Mayfield. So Baker, okay. I'm, trying, okay. I'm trying to answer your there we go. Yep. <laughs> your question. And while I'm pulling up his hard. while I'm yep. while I'm pulling up his split stats here. Uh okay. So they asked, and and um I want to get to this question because I think it's interesting. Timmy says, what's his floor and what's his ceiling? And I think that the, the short answer to that is that it is still a very large gap between the floor and the ceiling. Like it like but we've that's not found a, the floor yet. I'm here to tell you, we've not seen the floor. Like I but no, 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 I, I agree. But, but the fact that it is extremely wide. Yeah, that the ceiling is very high and that the floor is mm-hmm. still very low is is I think the where you want to be on a guy playing in his third game. Like you want yes. there to still be potential for an extremely high ceiling because his talent is the Good same question, thing Jimmy. we we saw it on the. But he says, is there any chance to let him throw the ball more on first down? And so I my first thought is I think they've done that more than you think. They have. Uh, he has twenty four pass attempts on first down. He has twenty five pass attempts on second down. He has eighteen pass attempts on third down. Uh, his completion percentage on second down is by far the best 76%, three of his touchdowns. The point that's is, is the that, play action shots come right. That naturally that's going to be the case. Well, but his play, they, they threw the ball on first down with play action on their own eight yard line to start the fourth quarter. They did do th- this on that smash route to Burks. Yep. The point is, is they are throwing the ball just as much on first down as they are on second down. He's a little bit more efficient on second down, which to your point, I think is 
feeding off the stacking of plays. And third down is by far the down he throws the ball the least. So basically, they're throwing the ball. They're letting him throw the ball on first down more than any other time, basically. So, mm-hmm. or as mm-hmm. much as any other time. So, uh, and that's not to be a smart ass. I just think I, I recall. Brayden of, thinks you're an idiot, Timmy. I don't know what you're going to make of that. <laughs> all of Tim. <laughs> what, what's one of the things we were begging about Tim Kelly in the offseason when he took the offense over was throw the ball more on first down. And, and they have. They've thrown the ball a lot more on first down. So um, yeah. do you agree? Do you, do you, any any disagreement on any of those questions at all? Not really. No, I, my, my only my biggest point there is that we've not seen the floor yet. We're going to find it eventually. And I'm very curious to see what it is. I, it, it, listen, um, it could happen this weekend because the Bucks are really, really good at stopping the run. And that it, could force the uh, Titans into some one-dimensional stuff. But I'm going to argue not. it. It better not happen this weekend. This, I mean, unless the Bucks okay. secondary changes the game entirely, they just wake up like we saw what CJ Stroud did to the secondary. Yeah, yeah just yeah. seven, seven. Well, it will be seven days ago by Sunday. Like this is, you need to be able to throw against this team. Um, and if this is Will Levis's worst game, then that's not. That. There was an article <laughs> written at BroadwaySportsMedia.com by our friend Justin Mello who his opinion is valid. I, I don't, I disagree with the severity of it. The idea that there will be some doubts creeping in. If this is his worst game, I, I, I agree that he should be able to operate efficiently and effectively against this Buccaneers secondary. However, there's also like Vita Vea exists against Aaron Brewer. Who's like a, a Two, whole, like go, a full size golden doodle less in weight than him. Two very um, good linebackers. Like they, they are yep, not exactly. going to run the ball on Tampa, which means no. The game, the game becomes more predictable for Tampa's defense and therefore exactly. more exactly. complicated for a rookie quarterback. Here's my my one thing on this floor ceiling thing is I I don't want anyone to overreact to any ceiling or floor at any point during this year. I think you have to look back at all eight or nine starts, however many he gets, and you have to evaluate the body of work. It's like a college mm-hmm. football playoff resume. Yep. You are not your best win and you are not your worst loss. You are yep. your body of work. And it is all about small pieces of progress throughout the course of the season to put together a body of work that makes people excited uh, and showing the talent to come back next year, which I think so far in two games he's done. So uh, again, not hating on the interception, for example, I think that's stupid to rip on that interception. Could he have done a better job? Sure. He's in his second game on the road against Pittsburgh in a, in a situation where he has to throw the ball. So, Excuse me. All right. Um, Sinkers Beverages, Kingster Group, our title sponsors. Make sure you support those good and amazing local businesses there, of course. Uh, Sinkers Beverages, Uber Eats. You can search Uber Eats and have them deliver the booze directly to your directly to your door. Uh, they will drive so you can drink. Bingo. And huge walk-in beer fridge, great wine selection, great prices. They, they will beat almost any price anywhere in the market, and they are the reigning 2022 liquor store of the year in nashville tennessee so go check out sinkers kingston group nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm make sure you just have a conversation with them before you make any big big decisions about your house or future house or past house whatever it is just talk to the kingston group first and they will absolutely help guide you through that process um and they're the best in the business that's why my family uses both sinkers and the kingston group so go check them out okay uh some afc south stuff here uh indianapolis and new england of course will start at 8 30 a.m uh, the, the Colts are plus, uh, Colts are a two point favorite, excuse me, mm-hmm. Houston and Cincinnati. Houston is at Cincinnati coming off 470 yards passing by CJ. Fascinating Stroud. game. Fascinating Utter, game. Utterly fascinating. Cincinnati has kind of started to find its footing, uh, a, a little bit here after the injury and after the loss of the Titans to Burroughs. Titans Calf. should be glad about when they caught that Cincinnati team. No question. They should be happy about that. Cincinnati, a seven point favorite. And honestly, 
a, a really fascinating game. Jacksonville at home, a three-point underdog at home to San Francisco. Clearly a chance for the rest of the division to gain a game on Jacksonville. How good is the, how good are the Jaguars? How strong is their hold on the division? And how much growth have the Colts and the Texans made in this in this offseason, offseason slash now first half of the season? Uh, a lot of good questions there. With Jacksonville, this is I, I am fascinated by that game because it is the put up or shut up game for Jacksonville. A lot has been made about how, hey, they've won five in a row and they're still being kind of undersold. That's going to happen when you're on your buy. Like, so naturally, people have kind of forgotten about them the past thir- 13, 14 days. Um, but they have won five or six in a row now. I think yeah, six and two. Yeah, five in a row. Um, this is uh, the uh, this is the the game where I think they if they win, they're going to be talked about as a top three top four team in the AFC. And if they lose, it's going to be like, okay, this is a middling team that's competing for the playoffs, uh, but they got some work to do. And they still just, the the reason why I think a lot of even more nerdy folks like you and I, Braden, aren't talking big game about Jacksonville this year is because yeah, they've won the games and some of the numbers look good. When you watch the games, they just (laughs) still have not clicked. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something about it where it's just, it's not really dominant in any aspect of the game, they get a really nice run defense. Um, and when the offense is clicking, they have some really nice drives, but it's, it's sporadic. It, it's not consistent enough for me to say like, this team is really dangerous. I'm happy to change my mind about that. If they go up against a San Francisco team that is healthier after the buy that, you know, the three game skid for San Francisco, big game for them. Obviously you could argue, I would argue that San Francisco is the much more desperate team in this matchup um, because they have lost three in a row um, and because their reputation's on the line, because the NFC, there's so much opportunity there. You can't squander it by getting closer and closer to if they're five and five through 10, what a disaster. You win five, lose five for San Francisco. So they're desperate for this game. Um, But that's that's what I take away from that game with Indy and Houston. Man, this Houston game is fascinating to me and (laughs) and not not to go full, you know, well, let me let me let me let me go back to Jacksonville. Oh, sorry, not to burst ahead here. Let's talk. No, about no, no. You're good. You're good. Because I think they're all like. What's interesting to me is I'm almost more focused on the defenses for all three of them, because mm-hmm. you're not going to learn a lot about the Colts' future with Gardner Minshew. You might be able to learn you're about. You're going to learn none. I mean, yeah, you can learn about there, you can sure. learn about the scheme. The offensive line has gotten better. They've added some weapons around just Jonathan Taylor. Um, but so I'm kind of looking at the defenses. And Jacksonville, excuse me. <clears throat> Jacksonville's defense has been the most impressive part of that team for me this year. Cause they, I came they, into I came into the year saying this is going to be a bad defense. Hand up. They, I was wrong. I'm wrong. They aren't they are not getting sacks. No, but all those no. numbers we just rattled off, all those numbers I rattled off about the Titans in terms of pressures, quarterback pressures, hurries, percentages, all that stuff. Like they are one of the best teams in the league. They they have 86 pressures the titans have 54 pressures the titans are one of the worst the jaguars are our top 10 team in that category when you look at hurries remember what i said titans 14 hurries in this entire season down to 28th uh jacksonville fourth 37 hurries that's three times the number like they are they are pressuring the quarterback at a significantly higher rate than the tennessee titans are for example which is something that if i'm a titans fan i am very disappointed in now now jacksonville has invested a lot of assets in their front seven. And so that I would expect some improvement, but the defense for Jacksonville, cause I agree with you. I'm Trevor Lawrence guy. Zach doesn't think so. That's okay for us to disagree on that. But Zach's with, wrong. All, fine. with all those weapons, 
I still think Trevor Lawrence is like a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but it has yep. not hit the thing yet. Nope. Like they haven't hit their thing yet. And yep. here's the, so here's what I'm concerned about. Like either the six and two is fake and they're not as good as their record indicates, or they figured out a way to get to six and two without being at their best. And Which their best is scary. yet to come. And that Which could be scary, scary. scary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Um, do we, can we'll we find out this, this weekend. We'll find out this yeah. weekend. <laughs> we talk about the Houston Cincy game because yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I know you're you're salivating. At I know game. I am Jones because this is the I, I on paper the better game is Jacksonville and San Francisco. Totally agreed. I'll be watching both of these games very intently. Um, the Houston game, not to get too far ahead of myself on on today, and let me let me take give me thirty seconds to to kind of go off the track here because I have had folks ask me when I fill in on this wonderful program. Love when you fill in. But why should I listen to you again later on the same day? Here's why. First of all, I don't talk about the same things on the show later today at Boomba's, by the way, 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. You should check it out. Which, by um, the way, we we try hard to do. Like We try hard to do. So, like, you're not – if you want everything – and why wouldn't you want all of my thoughts on this team? I mean, obviously. you gotta <laughs> you got to catch – you got to catch both shows. But we also spend a lot of time – and to segue this back into this game, we spend a lot of time on Thursdays. We, we're very proud of a segment we call The Best Bet Gauntlet. We've been betting for uh, two seasons now, over 300 game sample size. We take it very seriously, JT and I. We are the closest to professional bettors you can be without being professional bettors. We're betting at a 58%. And you put clip. money on all these games? We put our own real money on all right, of these good, games, good. and That's we make folks money. 58% over 300 game sample size is professional level, so we're very proud of that. And but so one tune of the into games, the Hot Read Podcast at 530 so Live. Tune for into Boobos. that. So we've got that out of the way. That's the plug. Check it out. Now, for this <laughs> game on this show, this is a number that has surprised a lot of people because Houston coming off of that big win against Tampa Bay, you're thinking this team is a like, okay, they're 500. They're at four and four in the AFC. Their offense is capable of scoring 40 points on any given Sunday. CJ Stroud playing incredible ball. This is a competitive team. Then the number comes out. They're on the road in Cincy. It's a touchdown. Everybody's like, whoa. Are we really ready to crown the points? Lay the points. You think so? So Yeah, it's it's, okay. So that there's, there's a lot of debate. Pros are very split on this this week. Um, This is, I mean, in, in a, maybe I would argue a bigger way than the Jacksonville game. Like it's a put up or shut up game for them for Houston. I think this is a, this is a litmus test for them. This is a very real competitor. They're going up against in a difficult environment on the road, a Bengals team that's hitting their stride. This is where when you're trying to make that leap from fun and frisky team to team you got to take seriously, that's a difficult that's a difficult gap to bridge. And this is the kind of game you have to win to prove to people, hey, we're not the fun and frisky team. We're the gamers, and you know we'll cover for you, but we're not going to win a lot of games. They're not good. We're they're serious. not good enough. They're not good enough to do that yet. I don't think so either. They're just not. I there. don't think so either. Um, and so that's, but, but we may be proved like if, if they're going to prove us wrong, they're going to do it in this game. And if they win this game outright, you and I are going to be eating our words on Monday. Cause it's gonna be like, all uh, right, never mind. Cincinnati minus seven. Cincinnati. I, I, so I'm with you. I'm with here's you. Here's the other but, thing. Here's the other thing the, the Vegas is trying to get you to do. Take Houston. Yes. They're, they're like the reason they Houston. put, 100%. they want, they want you to be on Houston by putting yep. up that number immediately following a 500 yard passing game by their star mm-hmm. young quarterback. Also not a hundred percent sure how healthy the receiving core is. Or how, like, I think Damian Pierce is banged up. You got Nico did, Collins did, banged did, up. Did you see so their injury report on Wednesday? Right? It's a lot 53 of players on the roster. 23 of them were on the injury <laughs> report. I mean, Titans fans think they've had it bad the past couple of years. That's some all-time stuff. Um, I but, will, but their, their receiving core, though, like, no, like, Z- yes, yeah, Xavier Hutchinson is, like, their fifth receiver. 
Mm-hmm. That, like they they have De- Tank Dell's had a nice rookie season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dalton Schultz has been a, a a major target, and it's so funny to be this deep into a year and like have never seen them as a division opponent. <laughs> right, uh, right. For the Titans, they they have a lot of pieces. They have a lot of pieces, and I think they got the right coach. So I think there's going to be tons of progress. They've already shown it. Cincinnati is on a different planet than than Houston. So I agree. That's kind of why I think that I think Vegas, based on what they did last week. Like, oh, Cincinnati's coming off a big, you know, they played well against Buffalo, big win, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And Houston, tons of points. Like, why is it seven? Like, they want you to go Houston. So, I, and I'm I'm guilty of this in the college football world. We're going to talk about this in a second. I think Vegas is begging you to, to bet Georgia and Alabama. They mm-hmm. sound like sucker bets this week because they're both the lowest point spreads basically Georgia's ever had all season. And I am, and I'm going to be the sucker because I'm taking both of them. So, (laughs) yep, itty bitty little morsel of betting advice. You got to play the hindsight game with this kind of matchup, right? Because Houston was going to lose that game against Tampa Bay if it weren't for a 40 second miracle drive down the field, very impressive drive where they win on a last second touchdown. If they lose that game, this number is what four, five. It's now up to seven. They're begging you to take Houston. Here's my gambling advice: Don't gamble on the NFL. Uh, It's totally disagree. Terrible it's advice. Too, bet on the NFL and bet on the best bet gauntlet. College is so, so much harder to bet. College is no. So much college is so much more predictable. College so is so much. No, much no, no, no. We could spend an hour on this. You're so wrong about this, Braden. College yeah. kids are so much less predictable than NFL players, well, professionals. That, that I'm not going to disagree with you with, but that's why you bet the coaches and the situation, not the teams. Yeah, well, Here's the problem: college the, games are not about the outcomes. That's the difference in the NFL. The outcome is the outcomes wild so vary because the teams are exactly the same. Like almost every roster is the same in the NFL and in college you know, rel- compared to the compared to college right. where the where and, the rosters are wildly different. Mm-hmm. And it's not ever about the outcome. It's about we how the game 20, plays out. We could spend 20 minutes on this, but the, but the funny bit of advice that's <laughs> peeking through here objectively, I'm saying you have to bet NFL. You're saying you have to bet college. <laughs> the real advice here is don't bet what you don't know. Bet what you know. That's right? exactly. And Bet and I'm at know. like, and over the last three years, I'm at like 54, 55% with college. Sounds like you're doing pretty well for We're the NFL. This. With NFL. If, if we, if we so flip-flopped, you know. I'd be betting a cold 37% on college if you forced me to bet college every week. Can we agree that n- you should never parlay anything? Can we agree with that? Absolutely not. <laughs> what? We take all the fun out of it? What are you talking about? Uh, Smart parlays exist. Parlay, parlay is... It, it invented by the house statistically to take your money. That's correct. What it's for. Correct. That's what because it's, it's for. very hard to be smart with your parlays, but there is a way. And if you want to learn more, yeah. check out the best bet gauntlet on the hot read podcast. There you go. That's enough promotion. Good job. Uh, go check, but you should go <laughs> check just, it out. I'm forcing all the promos in today. Let's move no, on. No, 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 no force. No force. It's, it's a, it, you got consent. <laughs> 440 product. It's a 440 product. <laughs> you got consent. Big I guy. appreciate that. Uh, real quickly here. Uh, I'm not, we're not going to talk a lot of SEC football. Go to Sinker's Beverages, Kingston Group. We'll, we'll react a little bit more to this on Monday. But um, basically, a- Alabama, 10-point favorite on the road against Kentucky. Uh, you've got Georgia, 10-point favorite at home against Ole Miss. They both are essentially clinching divisions in these games, b- by and large. It's not um, like you're saying take the points in these games. I'm laying the points because I don't think – I think they are ready so you're to – You're walking into the sucker bet. I'm taking the sucker bet. Okay, because, all right, fair Sometimes you got to do it. I feel that. I, I don't think Kentucky has a quarterback that's playing well enough to challenge Alabama. Essentially, maybe there's, there. a let, there's a let. Maybe there's a letdown, but Alabama's playing its best football of the season. Where is that game? It's in Lexington. Okay. Um, I, I think Georgia could be challenged very similarly to that to that of Missouri because they have a very similar offense and style. Um, Missouri and, and, and Ole Miss, they kind of are going to do the same things. Run the quarterback. Great running back. 
hit the receivers down the field, take deep shots. The, the game plan is going to be the same. So I could see them playing with Georgia, but they don't have both of these teams, Kentucky and, and Ole Miss will lose the line of scrimmage battle. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose the line of scrimmage battle. Uh, the only thing I could see happening is Kentucky pressuring Jalen Milrow a little bit, but because that's happened to him the entire season. But I, I don't see okay, how either catch of catch him. Good luck catching him. Right. Bingo. The, the Michael Vick stuff kicks in at that point. Like his acceleration is off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like the two favorites to sort of hold serve. If you're asking me to pick an upset, ironically, it might be Georgia at home, not Alabama on the road, mm. which is weird. That's um, weird. But that's because I think Ole Miss is that good. And I think Georgia's looking ahead to Tennessee next week. They they just came off a big time game against Missouri. Okay, maybe the there's a yeah. let maybe there's an emotional letdown for Georgia. Tennessee, Missouri, I have no clue. Um, it, there's a reason it's a pick 'em. What's, essentially, is, is it a pick 'em? What's the? I was wondering what the line is on. Tennessee that. was favored by one, then it was a pick 'em, then I think they got favored okay. again. Like it, basically, it's who do you think is going to win the game? And honestly, if Tennessee plays its best version, they can win. They're the better team, but they have been Missouri's been more consistent. And if Missouri right. plays its regular version, then that team wins the game. So they're at home. Tennessee scored sixty plus in this game two years in a row. Uh, uh, dropping a 60 I feel burger. confident betting that's not going to happen. It will not. And it, but, but you can bet Eli Drinkwitz has taken it personally, the head coach at Missouri. So I think there was some bad blood at the end of this game. So I, I, I honestly have no clue what to do with this game, but just here's the, my, my main point and lesson about Tennessee, Missouri. Uh, both programs belong in the conversation, like as sort of the next up in the sec if they can continue this like Georgia and Alabama are the premier programs in, in, in the sec LSU is kind of on that next tier, Tennessee and, and, and Missouri now belong on that tier to be in that conversation because they consistently have shown it. But, but most importantly, this is a playoff game next year, next year, 12 team playoff mm. winner, winner stays with two losses. Loser goes to three losses. It is a playoff elimination game next season. And if you think this year is fun, Imagine if there was a playoff spot on the line. Yeah. So, so yeah. this this is a playoff game next year in the SEC, and it's why we're expanding the playoff. Is this game? Yep. Two yep. two very good teams that are playing better than they've played all season. They're playing really good football despite some outcomes. Quarterbacks are playing really well. Offenses have evolved into these really dynamic groups, and they got some bad blood. And they're both two lost teams. And I think I think it's a, a beautiful college football game. It's going to end up with a football bouncing off some guy's face mask and on the final drive and something crazy is going to happen and that team's going to win. But but really, this is a playoff game next year. And I think that's what's important with this one. So just enjoy it. Honestly, sure. I know my, I'm going to try to get my daughter. Where, where, where is that game? Is that one in it's in Missouri? Knoxville? It's in Missouri. Okay. Yeah. With, with those first two, with the Georgia Bama games you mentioned, it sounds like based on what you said alone, that's a it's a perfect opportunity to maybe lay the points for the full game, take the underdog first half kind of deal where it's kind of busted open second half. Which I is think pretty, for Ole Miss, that's it. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, which is a pretty common thing, I think, in college. Um, with, with the Tennessee game, that's the one that I find most fascinating thing for obvious reasons. I, I love the playoff game angle. Um, I love the angle of Drinkowitz taking this personally. I, I think it doesn't. it certainly does not help Tennessee that Missouri was not this close, maybe like, this close last week in a really big game against Georgia and couldn't quite get it done. As um, close as you get to Georgia. So right, right. They got they got within your shot and, and it has to sting a little bit for them. Um and so I think that they're they've got some they've got some anger to uh they got some steam to let off in this game. So yep. 
where are you leading? You said you don't know. If, if I, I, head, I what, think Missouri's, I think Missouri's the better team. I think the so more too. consistent team, the more complete team, and the more balanced team, and they are at home. Is I think unfair? if Tennessee plays, it's Tennessee best. lives and dies by their by their by Joe Milton. Like it, it really well, that the beauty of Tennessee is that they've evolved past that. Like they're no okay. longer asking him to be the Hendon Hooker, where you just right. ask the quarterback to do everything. They're now running with the ball with him. They've got a three headed monster at running back. They run the football there. They're Missouri's pretty good against the run, but I think Tennessee's going to run the football. So I think what's good about what I think is great about both these programs and why I like this game so much is that they both programs have evolved and progressed as like big picture programs from the beginning of the season. So while, you know, Tennessee lost to Florida and Missouri lost on a bad play to LSU and they both lost to Bama and Georgia recently, like they are still playing amongst the best football in the conference. And it's because Tennessee's offense has evolved. They, They are now not just asking the quarterback to stand back there and sling it. And so they've added new wrinkles to it. They're running the football with the quarterback. They're asking him to be like, 21 22 passes not 37 passes and so they're tennessee's changed and i think that's a sign of a good coach and 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 obviously the development of all those pieces for missouri has happened this year and that's the sign of eli drinkowitz knowing when to step back hire a coordinator and let the coordinator go to work so they've progressed as programs and i find that the trajectory of the offseason and the conversation around both these programs is gonna it could be decided in this game so i think it's I just think it, there's so many layers. It's so interesting. Um, and I think, unfortunately, there's a very good chance that Alabama just wins the whole stupid thing again. Like You've been on, on this one, this week, and I hate you for it. The, um, the one year that everyone's yeah. like, no, it's wide open. Someone else is going to do it. Like, of course, it ends up being Nick Saban in Alabama. So I hope you're wrong. I hope, I hope wrong. I'm wrong as well. Uh, right. But uh, just ask my wife. It. it happens all the time. Thank you, Easton, for filling in. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group. Thanks to all you guys. Please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Share that show. Tell somebody about the product. Mondays and Thursdays, every single uh, week at 1 o'clock. Uh, Central Standard God's Time. And, of course, please give us a subscription over there on the 440 Sports YouTube page. You got individual game previews for all those SEC games we just talked about if you want to go deeper. And, of course, other great shows like the Hot Read Podcast and Football and Other F-Words and a variety of other great shows. Go check them all out. Thank you, Easton. Thank you, Braden. It's been a blast. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. We will talk to you on Monday.